did, and Paul uh, withstood the attack, but just want you to know that's a tool that Satan uses, and uh, if, if you are, find yourself under attack, sometimes it's not because of uh, who you are, it's because of what you stand for, and uh, so you just keep that in mind. They attacked Paul, and uh, it's because he was preaching the gospel, he was being true to the Word of God. He gives us... Uh, he cautions them, he says, some cautions that we come away with as we, as we read these or went through these first couple of chapters here, is the caution with regards to legalism directly, that is the adding of works to salvation. Uh, and then we got to be careful not to go to the other extreme, which we addressed a little bit last week, that you possible to go to the other extreme where we're going to do away with the law completely and say the law has no effect and it's of no use. And so there's those two extremes you want to stay away from. Uh, but the real problem with those of Galatians was that they would say, well, you were saved by grace, but you're only kept through works. Which is, again, we know that our salvation is secure, not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ. And uh, it is a finished work and we are in the hand of the Father and no man can pluck us out of his hand and, and it is the Father that keeps us, not us or our performance. And so that really just is kind of goes back to what legalism is, but another way of stating it, which they were stating in the book of Galatians. We come to chapter number three here and Paul really addresses the complete sufficiency of faith alone by asking of them some probing questions. Let's look here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Follow along as I read it to you. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that ye now uh, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Therefore, I'm sorry, he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, do, doeth he it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Again, addressing the sufficiency of faith here in these with these probing questions. It's been said that accusations harden the will, but questions stir the conscience. So Paul, facing these people of Galatia, he asked them these questions. He said, would you consider this? Would you ponder these things? And so in verse number one, we see that Paul asked them about their persuasion about their persuasion, he said, who, it is, who, who persuaded you or have you been fully persuaded or why are you persuaded with regards to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul begins, he opens the statement here, completely amazed that they have strayed from the truth. He calls them foolish. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, beloved Believing in error makes you foolish. These Galatian people had adopted or began to believe some error, some untruth, and he said that's foolish. And you know, the fact of the matter is, is there are some uh, teachers out there that would be foolish to listen to. 
There are some books and some writings out there that it would be foolish for you to read after. We've got to be careful who we're listening to. You'll be led astray as sure as the sky is blue. You'll be led astray if you begin partaking of those things, the false teaching. There's a big difference between some, studying something to determine or find the error that's there or studying something for edification. When you're studying or reading something for edification and, and it's something that's false, it's going to lead you astray. Some would say, well, I just read everything I can get my hands on. Well, that's not very wise. There's a lot of things we don't need to be reading. Some would say, well, I, I just go to any church or any Bible study or any place. I just want to get as much as I can. Although that ambition is good, partaking of it that way is not good. You're going to be as mixed up, uh, you know, as a uh, mouse in a, in a maze. I mean, you're, you're going to, you won't know which side is up. When you go and get taught and instructed by all these different people and they're teaching competing doctrines. They're teaching different things that don't line up with the scripture. So you've got to be careful. It's not, it's not helping you to do that. He says, oh foolish Galatians. And then Paul here, he acknowledges the work of Satan. He says, man, have you come under some kind of spell? He says, who hath bewitched you? That bewitched there according to those that are a lot smarter than me, said that it really means to put an evil eye on. There was a belief, a commonly held practice, that sorcerers of the day were able to look at somebody and put a spell on them. We're not too far from that in a lot of uh, you know, places today where uh, witchcraft and sorcery is, is practiced and held and people embrace that kind of thing. There's different ways in which they, you know, get a, get a doll of you or a representation of you and they're able to somehow put a spell or a curse on, on your life. Well, they, they believe this and here's the thing is, so foolish was the Galatians' departure from truth that Paul could find no other way of explaining it than you must have been put under some kind of spell. He says, why else would you turn back to that which you left? Or why would you turn to towards that which you didn't even know about? And now all of a sudden, why, why would you do that? You must be under some kind of spell. Beloved, I want you to know that Satan does, in fact, blind the minds of those that will listen. People are hypnotized by the idea of works salvation. I don't understand it because I've had the privilege of knowing the truth. But there is an appeal there because it appeals to the, the uh, pride of man. That I have accomplished this, I can achieve this, and, and, and look what I have done. And so through that pride, Satan's able to pull men to strive to earn their own way. Paul says to them that they're not obeying the truth. He says there, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? This word for obey here is not the typical word that we would look at and say, well, that is the opposite of disobey. It's... it's Actually, the word literally means that which you are fully persuaded of. He said they're, they're not following that which they were fully persuaded of. They're not, you could say, they're not obeying what they know in their mind to be right. And that's what he was saying to him, them here. He says, hey, you're not obeying, you're not following here what it is you know to be the truth. And then he gives to them the most powerful argument of all. 
he asks them concerning their salvation, he says, tell me, how were you persuaded to accept Christ? He said, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He says, did you respond to the gospel because you read the law? Or did you respond to the gospel because you saw Jesus Christ hanging on the cross? Paul preached Christ and him crucified. He says to the people of Galatia, he says, do you remember? Do you remember when you saw him there on the cross? Now, they did not literally see him because they weren't at that. But he is saying to them, do you remember? I believe Paul preached the, the cross of Jesus Christ so passionately and so powerfully that in their mind's eye, any who sat and listened could literally see the Savior hanging on the cross, dying for their sins. And it drove them, drew them to the Savior. And they said, oh, I need Jesus. And he says, do you remember when you saw Jesus, when you saw the fact that he died for you, he gave himself? He said, do you remember that? This word set forth here literally means to be like a posted public notice, like they would set forth a notice in the community telling people, hey, here's what needs to be done, or there's going to be this on this date. He says, hey, when I set forth the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when I set that forth and you believed, was it because of the law? Beloved, the world needs Jesus Christ. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We need to preach Jesus and him crucified. Can I ask you tonight, do you remember the day? Do you remember when you saw Jesus and he came into your life? You know, there's a lot of people that I know about. You guys know I like following Elon Musk. He's an idiot in a lot of ways, I know. I know, okay, you don't have to tell me. I, there's a lot of things that he is just, you wonder how could a guy be so smart and so stupid at the same time, you know? <laughs> but obviously he's got some abilities and, uh, you know, he's a hard worker and he's accomplished a lot in his life. Uh, but, you know, I know about him, but I don't know him. There's a difference, beloved, about knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Having that relationship with him. And Paul says to the people of Galatia, he said, do you remember when you were introduced to him? When that relationship began? When it was so precious and real to you? Paul asked them secondly about their participation. He says in verse number two, he said, this only would I learn of you. He's saying, hey, if I had one question that I could ask, this only would I learn of you. He said, this is what I want to know. This is, the, this is the one thing I want to know. This is the only thing that I could learn of you. He said, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. He said, he, he said tell me about your firsthand experience. What happened to you? Your participation in this thing, was it because of the works of the law or because of hearing and the faith that was born in your heart? Paul emphatically tells him, listen, your attitude is contradictory to the reality of your experience. 
You now are trying to lean on the law, but your experience, if you just go back to that and realize that it was when you put your faith and trust in Christ, not in the law. Paul says to him here, he says, uh, he says, this only what I learned of you, received ye the Spirit. We know that this is literally speaking about the moment of salvation when somebody is saved. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. John 3, 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's telling them, just go back. Just go back to the moment of salvation and remember, did you receive the Spirit at that moment of salvation because you were so faithful to church? Did you receive the Spirit of God? you remember when the Spirit came and dwelt in you? Did you receive Him because the God of heaven looked down over the portals of, of space and looked down at your Bible reading schedule and said, Boy, you sure have earned it. I'm going to give you the Spirit of God. He says, Did, is that how you received it? By the works of the flesh? By, by the law? Or was it by faith in Jesus Christ alone? Beloved, the shocking thing is he's talking to people here that by and large probably didn't even know the law existed when they had faith in Christ. You see, these are people of Galatia. They were recognized as heathen people. They did not know, they, they weren't Jews. They didn't have the law. They probably didn't even know about the law. But they met Jesus, put their faith and trust in Christ, and then all of a sudden these Judaizers come and say, oh, wait a minute, what about this? You need to do this too. And so then they began to try and adapt that or adopt that, and he says, wait, <laughs> go back to the beginning. The law wasn't even a part of this equation in the beginning. You remember, do you remember that? Beloved, the Holy Spirit was given to them, and it's given to you and I. The Holy Spirit was very powerful, especially during New Testament times, uh, in the signs and the wonders, the work that God was using to, to, to grow and spread the church. The Holy Spirit was evident in a very powerful way. We know in Acts 10, 44, and I could give you many references, but he says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard. And we know the 3,000 that were saved and many things that God did through the uh, disciples and the apostles in the New Testament seeing the Holy Spirit work in a miraculous way. But I want you to know we have the same Holy Spirit today. Now the, the sign gifts that were during that time are no more. But we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and the power that the Holy Spirit can bring, which we're going to talk more about as we get further into this. But let me just tell you some of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us. He indwells us. And we're not going to take time to look at all these passages of Scripture. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit speaks to us. In Acts 8, 29, he says, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, The Spirit said unto Philip, Go. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit prods you and is telling you this is something you need to do. You need to call this person. You need to say something to this person. You need to ask somebody this, something about this or whatever. And uh, we need to be sensitive to that. We need to, we need to learn to hear and follow the Spirit's leading. There's been many times that God has directed me like that in His Spirit, and, and I've sat in awe at what God did. And uh, just this week, I had something happen that I did the opposite. It was about a week ago, the Lord kind of, in my mind, you know, looking back, I can see the Lord was telling me to do this during the time I just thought it was my idea, and I didn't get around to doing it. I, I didn't do it. And now I see, looking back, what I caused by not, by not doing that. If I would have responded a week ago, it could have saved me a lot of heartache. 
But I, I won't know because I didn't do it. You know, and even today I was walking around saying, Lord, you know, help me to be more sensitive to the Spirit. Because I see where I, where I failed in that in this last week. The Spirit speaks to us. This Bible tells us that He teaches us. He guides us, John 16, 13. How be it when the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth. He reproves us. Praise the Lord for His reproof. Amen. Amen. He, he testifies to us. He appoints us, He sanctifies us, He comforts us, He regenerates us, He seals us unto the day of redemption, He prays for us, He, glor he glorifies Christ, and He ministers to us. These are things that the Bible is very clear that the Spirit does for us, and if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you today, and the question Paul asks, he says, hey, did you get the Holy Spirit because you followed the law or because you believed in faith on Jesus Christ? Amen. Faith. And we see thirdly, Paul asks about their perfection, about their perfection. He says in verse number three, he says, are ye so foolish? This foolish there is, he uses the same word, but this has the implication of thoughtless, of not engaging your brain. He says, are ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He said, hey, there's a process of perfection. So all of a sudden, you, you, if you look at these two first two verses and you in your heart and mind say, oh, that's right. Yes, Paul, I did put my faith and trust in Christ. And he says, well, are you so foolish to think that if you began by faith, that somehow from here on out that you're going to be carried by works, that somehow you're going to be carried by the law, that you're going to be made perfect in your own flesh? He gets blunt with them. He's basically saying to them, hey, engage your brain. Think about what it is, the end result of your current philosophy that you're adopting. Do you really suppose that everything you are right now is because of Jesus Christ? We know that. Do you suppose you're going to come to Jesus and say, okay, thank you for getting me thus far, but I've got it from here? I mean, this is what he's asking. He's saying, is that, is that really the, the bridge you're trying to sell me? That that's the rest of your life, you're just going to somehow reach perfection on your own merit? Beloved, we're saved by faith, we're kept by the Father, and we're sanctified through faith. Or we're, another way to say it is we live by faith. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not, paid, we're not made perfect through the work of our flesh, but through Jesus Christ. Now, some groups teach that there's an instant and complete sanctification that comes all at once. That we are made altogether perfect and free from the inclination to sin. Now, that's shocking how anybody could teach that. I don't know. To me, they would have to be blinded by Satan to teach that. Because there is nobody that stands up behind a pulpit and speaks or preaches that isn't first faced with their own sin. That realizes their own inadequacy. The closer we get to God, the more we are like the, the, the prophet and we say, Woe is me, for I am undone. And yet for somebody to teach or, or uh, try and share with people that, hey, you're going to reach this moment of sanctification that comes shortly after salvation, or I'm not sure how that it's attained, but they try and teach that sanctification happens at once. You All of a sudden, the inclination of sin is gone. And I've heard teachers say that, you know, they haven't sinned in how many ever years and things like that, which we know is foolishness. Yeah. Beloved, the Bible teaches a path of growth. 
a path of growth whereby we are conformed into the image of God's Son. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But grow in grace. This is a path of growth, the process through which we are conformed into the image of God's Son. It doesn't happen at one time. It takes, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes continual work through all of our days. Beloved, no matter how disciplined you are, you're not going to be made perfect by your flesh. Now, discipline is good. Discipline helps you to uh, follow Christ and to stay faithful when, you're, when you don't feel like it and, and these things. But listen, that is not what perfects us. It is Jesus Christ working in us. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. If we could do it ourselves, it would cause men to look at himself only. That would be an inward look instead of an upward look. It would be a look at yourself instead of a look at the Savior. We are made perfect through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now let's consider briefly this idea of perfection. What does it mean? We, of course, have all learned that it means to be mature, uh, complete. Those are the two defining words. When you see that in the Bible, the word perfect, it doesn't mean without sin. It means mature and complete. And well, I just took it a little bit further. What, what does that mean? To be mature or to be complete. So we say there's perfection or maturity or completion. We could say that's the end goal. That is the finish line. And it's perfect in Christ. So here's how I looked at it is, I believe it's a finish line that's established by God for each and every one of us individually. Bill's level of perfection, saying his finish line, what God has for him is different than mine. What God expects from Bill is different than me. If I'm going to fulfill and follow God's plan and continue to completion or to the finish line, I've got to continue to pursue that and be what God wants me to be and respond in following the Holy Spirit, the works of the Spirit coming out, you know, the fruit of the Spirit being evident in my life, these processes whereby we grow, and it's ultimately to reach the point where God says, this is where your finish line is. And we keep going till there. You know, uh, every one of you, your, your finish line, your completion or perfect in Christ is different than anybody else in here. What God expects of you and where God wants you to get to is different because of who you are and how God's gifted you. As I pondered and thought about that, I was encouraged. Because I don't have to, I don't have to make it to Lee's finish line. Amen. I just, got, I just got to make it to mine. Lee's one of the hardest working guys I know, man. I hope I have half my energy, his energy when I'm his age. Uh, not that you're that much older than me, but, you know, a few more years. Uh, but, I mean, just that, I, it's, I'm just glad that it's just, you know, God hasn't put me up on a scale against a bunch of other people. He said, hey, Caleb, this is what I have for you. This is what I perfect you. Or I see you as a perfect believer, complete in me. This is what I want you to be, complete in Jesus Christ. And that's where I'm going. That's where I got to head towards, to try and be complete in Christ, who God wants Caleb Betrell to be. And you each individually only have to say, God, who am I supposed to be in you? And that's what I want to go after. That's what I want to be. Help me to be complete in you, Lord. 
and we focus our hearts and minds on Christ, we can truly grow into what he desires us to be. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Beloved, at salvation we are sanctified in part. We are set apart as a child of God. One day when we get to glory, we're going to be completely sanctified. But between now and then, there's a process of sanctification that takes place where we are growing and continuing through the power of the Spirit of God. We ask them there about this process of perfection in their lives and said, don't think you're going to make it by the flesh. It's got to be through the Spirit, the Spirit. Fourthly, Paul asked them about their persecution. He says in verse number four there, he says, Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? You see, he's saying, look at all that you've been through. Look at the results of having believed on Christ. You see, beloved, in the New Testament, there was a lot of persecution for following Christ. The early church was consistently persecuted. You remember, Christians, that, that name was not initially a good name. That name initially was a name of ridicule, of criticism. Oh, those Christians. They, they were persecuted everywhere they went. Paul tells them in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse number 4, he says, For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that ye should suffer tribulation, even as it, even as it has come to pass. And ye know. He said, we told you there was going to be suffering. And it came to pass, you know what happened. That's the fact of the matter is, is they were persecuted. Now, we don't know all the persecutions that the Church of Galatia may be experienced, but we know that Paul was stoned at Lystra. So they weren't too excited about the gospel there. I don't know how many other people endured that level of persecution, but they certainly were uh, criticized and ridiculed and probably left family and home. We know they received great opposition at Antioch and Iconium. And what Paul is saying, you, you've been through this persecution. Did you do that in vain? He's saying you believed on Christ and you have been enduring persecution because of your belief in Christ. He says, but was that all in vain? I mean, do you actually not believe in Christ? Did you just go through all that persecution for nothing? Or is it something that's real in your heart? He says, boy, I, I hope it's not in vain. This point, I believe, held some greater truth or some greater weight for those Christians at Galatia because who was it, beloved, that were probably, more than likely, what group were the ones causing most of the persecution? The Judaizers. The religious crowd. Those people that, on the other hand, were saying, hey, here's what you need to do. And so Paul is saying, wait a minute. This is not lining up. You've gone through all of this suffering and persecution. Hopefully it wasn't in vain that you did that. I wonder tonight, have you here in this room, have you endured some suffering? Oh, I know we read the stories and we're really ashamed at how easy we have it in comparison. We read about the trail of blood and 
these missionaries that are beaten or stoned or ran out of town and so many things that, that Christians have had to endure. But I want you to know every Christian, regardless of where you're at, deals with some level of suffering, some rejection. Maybe especially if you come from a family that didn't appreciate you turning to Christ, you, you dealt with that rejection from your family members. Uh, you, you, you dealt with friends that have left you. If you take up your cross daily as Christ instructs us to, then you're going to suffer some. You're taking up your cross. That's what God calls us to do. In that in itself is the implication that there's going to be some suffering there. I wonder, have you done so in vain? If you do, as Christ asks, and deny yourself and remain spotless from this world, there is that implication or the idea of doing without for the cause of Christ. And he's saying, did you do all that for nothing? No, you didn't, because Jesus is real and he did die for you. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So although we really have been spoiled here in this country and have not had to, as of yet, endure too much, we're clear that the Bible says all are going to suffer some. Matthew 19, 29 says, And every one that hath forsaken house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. He says, hey, there's been some things you had to walk away from. There's been some things you had to let go. There's been some hurt that you've carried. Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Hey, Paul is asking them, have you suffered all these things in vain? Surely not. Surely there's more to it than just going through suffering for the sake of suffering. You know, it's sad, but you see people. I was watching something on YouTube this last week, and these people, I don't know what time of year it was or whatever, but they were videoing it and showing it, and these people were on their hands and knees and crawling up to the top of a hill to kiss the bottom of the statue you know, in, in, in observance of their particular holiday and their religion, they're trying to earn their way of forgiveness and they're going through that suffering. But beloved, that suffering's in vain. Because there is no repentance given through that. There is no salvation earned through that. It's a sad thing. Lastly, this evening... Verse number five, he says, Paul asks here about their power. He says, he therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? There's two things he mentions here. He's first of all, the ministereth, ministering of the spirit and then the miracles that are seen. 
So we see the ministering here of the Spirit, this word according to Strong's, that word ministereth, means literally to fully supply. To fully supply. I read about how in the cities and towns of that time, there usually was a rich benefactor. It's probably not too much different from today. But these rich benefactors would fully supply what was needed for the arts or for the local show to go on. They, they would have a production crew that was going to put on a show in the community and, and it was something that they needed some funds to be able to do it and this rich benefactor would come and he would fully supply, he would minister to them what they needed to do that for the community. There's a lot of those types of things go on today in, in support of the arts and so on. So that probably hasn't changed that much. But what he's saying here is that idea that the Spirit of God fully supplies to you and I everything that's needed for the work of Christ and for our edification and our growth into what God wants us to be. Hebrews 2, verse number 4 says, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. God fully supplies. He ministers to us. And secondly, we see the miracles of the Spirit. The Greek word here is that word from which we get dynamite. The, the awesome power of dynamite The great power of God, beloved, is delivered to you and I through the work of the Holy Spirit. He asked of them, do you see this ministereth to you? Do you see the ministering to you? Do you see the miraculous things around you? The miracles that, that you get to observe? Do you see those? And do you suppose it came by the works of the law or by hearing in faith? We read through the pages of the New Testament and are amazed at the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. The miraculous things, the supernatural miracles that he performed in one city after another. In Acts chapter 14, there in Lystra, there sat a certain man in Lystra, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. That same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceived that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. These people saw God do miraculous things, performing great miracles. Paul asked of them the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life that's among you. Is that by the law or by faith? He said, you've listened to the gospel and you've seen the drunkard turn to be sober. You've seen the liar Stop his lying and become honest. You've seen the thief who, was a, who would steal, steal no more. You've seen the pervert who has been made pure. You've seen the man who's uh, driven mad in anger become meek and quiet. You've listened to the gospel and seen the miraculous things that it does in the hearts of people. And he says, but when you listen to the law, what was changed? So, beloved, the lesson for us today is not just to hear of the amazing power and the, what God did through the Spirit in the pages of Scripture or in bygone days, 
but to experience it personally. Matthew 21, 22, he says, In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Last week, I was praying with one of the men of the church here. In his prayer, he was saying, Lord, we want to pray in faith. We want to pray in faith, believing. Sometimes our faith is weak, but we want to believe. We know you can do this, God. We're asking for you to do this. I wonder... Luke, 9, Luke 11, verse number 9, he says, And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. John 15, 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Ephesians three twenty. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Beloved, the power of God that's there is present. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have that power. What Paul has done here for them and for you and I tonight is he's drawn for us a picture. He's contrasted, if you will, what can be done through the flesh or the law and what can be done through the Spirit of God. You know, beloved, if I had here before you a little tray of candy, you might be sort of tempted because of your proximity to the candy and your distance from any other source of food. But if I had a tray of candy right here and in the fellowship hall, somebody had a full steak dinner, grilled to perfection, uh, all the, the sides just like you like them, this candy would be no temptation at all. You'd look at that and be like, no, no, thanks, man. I'm not interested in that. I'm going to eat some steak, you know, or I'm going to, whatever it is that you really like. My wife would want some fish or something like that, you know. Uh, but uh, what I'm saying, beloved, here is Paul has driven us, uh, drawn for us a contrast. And if we would stay close to the Savior, and see all that he has done for us and the power and the miraculous things that he can do through us, the temptation to be drawn away into anything else would be like nothing. Like, what, what? Why, why do that? No, I'm not interested in that. I have Jesus. But it is in direct relation to our proximity to him. When we get a long ways from him, and especially when we get into the proximity of these things over here, they start to be a little bit more alluring. The temptation gets to be a little bit bigger. It's not as easy to resist. He draws for us an amazing picture of how good and awesome God is. He says, if you're not careful, you'll be foolish and be tempted to substitute that weak and empty law for the real thing. I thought about bringing up here tonight a RC Cola and a Coca-Cola and talk about the differences, you know. The thing is, is why would you give up the real thing for the, for the foolish, empty substitute? He said the, the way that it happens sometimes is you forget. That's why Paul asked those probing questions. He said, do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember seeing Jesus crucified for you? 
Don't forget that. And remember, you're never going to do it in the flesh. It's going to take the Spirit. He's the one that does the work.